This is Doing Good Through Food. I'm Alex Coffin, and my guest on the show today is Will Edge. Will is the founder of Greensand Ridge Distillery, which is based in Shipbourne in Kent, and it's a craft distillery with a mission. It was conceived by asking the question, how do you take an energy-intensive process like distilling and not only reduce its environmental footprint, but have it make a positive contribution to sustainability? Their answer involved use of advanced technology and 100% renewable energy, but also working with local farmers to reduce food waste at the farm gate by fermenting and distilling quality produce that supermarkets won't take. Um, Will's actually an old friend and I, I knew he loved distilling and had become a distiller, but I didn't, didn't know about the food waste, the sustainability angle until he got in touch with me recently. So I'm really fascinated to kind of hear, hear what drove all of that and how that's come to be and delighted to say welcome to Doing Good Through Food. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. It's my pleasure. We started talking a bit before Christmas and you were, you were sort of flat out and um, in the Christmas build up, I think, you know, how, how is it now and how, what was going on? Yeah, like Christmas is, is quite a busy time for me, not least because, you know, premium spirits are a nice, nice Christmas gift. Um, at Christmas time, the apples have kind of come to a nice ferment, fermentation and have um, pretty much got, got ready for distilling. Um, I leave my plums fermenting really nice and long to, so they get kind of nice bacterial infections which gives interesting flavors so they're ready to go as well and so um yeah there's quite a lot of heavy lifting in the kind of en end of the year period and and actually i'd try if i can to leave all my fruit distilling for for the january period when you know things have settled down there's a bit of breathing space so that's what's happening now it's all just <clears throat> stuff is in vats and it's distilling and kind of getting ready to the next step whatever the next step is. yeah yeah well um i've kind of been learning on my feet you know this business has been running for a year and a half um there aren't many there's quite a lot of distilleries popping up in the uk but there aren't many distillers there aren't many people making the kind of spirits that i make so if you want to learn about you know plum distilling well don't go and do the master's degree that i did at heriot Watt in edinburgh you probably just want to go down to um bulgaria or somewhere and like go to some of the local villages where all that knowledge is but uh, i've kind of been been teaching myself and learning on my feet so yeah i've kind of been taking it slowly and 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 you know figuring out what i need in terms of kind of heat recovery systems and all that kind of stuff to... a lot to learn yeah yeah a lot to learn yeah so i've been I, i've been you know trying to find um in the last week or so someone that can can make me the kind of heat exchanger i i need that can deal with the kind of fruit the kind of pulpy fruits that that i work with so yeah technical stuff you kind of uh so you didn't you did you you did this degree did you learn those things there i mean it's did you kind of come out with the the knowledge to do no not really you know like all degrees um it's really technical and and probably you know 70 percent of the knowledge you 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 come out with from a degree mm. dissipates overnight um the the degree was kind of use, most useful for me in that it kind of focused my mind and got me thinking a bit more commercially about how how to run this business you know i had a a passion about environmentalism and about distilling and i wanted to make it work and and the de the degree yeah did that it made me think you know well, how do i bring this to market how do i make it a profitable enterprise um does it does it teach you how to be a distiller no but it teaches you kind of the you know think about vapor pressures and about the concepts between fermentation and distilling and microbiology mm -hmm. and things so you got to then got to take that that knowledge and then you either have a bit, bit of a lifetime experience like i did from making homemade cider and, and brewing and things or you find someone that can tell you how to do it and there aren't many of them around these days <laughs> gotta go to bulgaria you gotta go to bulgaria and that would be a fun trip yeah, be, doing a little a lot of fun. plum plum spirit tasting trip of Bulgaria. I really like to sort of talk just at the start, I suppose, about this the, the, the mission. I remember you being into distilling and making ciders and things, but um, this sustainability and food waste sort of mentality is it, when when did that sort of become a real a thing for you? It's it, it it's part that it's kind of always always been a thing. You know, I kind of grew up in a bit of a um, a household where that was a, the kind of the forefront of thinking. Mm -hmm. um, 
you're kind of aware as a distiller that the the amount of produce you use is huge. Like distilling is a a produce and a resource intensive business. Um, And, you know, just think of the, the hundreds and thousands of, of hectares of agricultural land in the UK, Scandinavia, America that is given over to growing, growing, corn and barley and things for for making alcohol with and you know let's let's not stray too much away from the romance of distillation but we are creating a carcinogen at the end of the day so taking really good quality food out of the food system and and turning it into alcohol which you know creates issues societal issues let's say as well as making people happy and Mm. um and and that's that's kind of on my mind and and when people come to the distillery and I show them a barrel of of apple brandy and I say in that barrel there is four tons of apples and and you quite often get a little bit of audible kind of intake of breath because um, people you know why would why would you know that that it, it, it takes so much so much raw materials to make 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 a good spirit so that's kind of what I'm thinking and and I I also had the I guess the luxury of building a business from scratch. I'm not trying to re-engineer a, uh, you know, a huge distillery to make it more sustainable. I'm, I'm building this from the ground up. So it means that every decision that I can take, I take through the lens of, of how is, how, you know, is this going to impact my environmental footprint? And that's, it, it's both an easy and a difficult thing to do because it's easy, like it's easy to, to think about the big things and, and, make it work and it's difficult because you know sometimes those things uh are high you know affect your margins and think about like um low low carbon distribution for example at the moment is much more expensive than than you know yeah your standard standard courier packaging um and i guess there's a there's a little bit of of it as well which is i'm 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 a bit of a cheapskate um, let's be honest. And let's I think, not be too high-minded. Yeah, there's, exactly. there's that. I think to you know, and I, and I sense this. I'm not an entrepreneur. Like I'm not a serial build, business, builder of businesses. But I think to to build a successful business, you've got to have an eye on the costs. And I certainly certainly do that. And um, and so I just I, I seek the 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 most cost effective means of doing things all the time. And I'm kind of in a, in a nice way, you know, if you, if you try and burn through less resources, that means you're, you're spending less cash. So. Yeah. Oh, I guess that's, that's kind of the case in any business really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The, so how, how does it work? The food, the food waste element is, is kind of taking surplus from, from the farm gates essentially. So you're, um, stuff that would be going to waste. I suppose the first question is like, how how do you how do you get it? How yeah. do you have a sort of network of people that contact you if they've got a surplus? Do you are you sort of contacting? You know, are you going around and checking how mm. how, do, how do you find it? Yeah, I, I mean the my, my the spirits I make are uh, really influenced by the produce that is available and is is waste in the food system. So I'm I'm based where I am in this fruit growing region of the country um, so that, you know, we're not having to ship our our produce all over the place. Um, Which when you're, when you're thinking about this, we were, we were talking a little bit off mic earlier on about thinking about sustainably sustainability really holistically and, you know, I had a situation last year where I had a, a, a farmer in Gloucestershire phone me up. He said, I hear what you're doing. I've got five tons of plums here. They're yours. Come and get them anytime you want over the next week. Um, and as it happened, I, I was at capacity with, with, you know, with the production of, of that spirit last year. I couldn't take them. But it, it's a kind of example of, well, if, you, if if you're doing this because you want to mitigate food waste and at the same time having a very small environmental footprint then well does does burning a tank of diesel to drive across the country and pick up some food waste and drive back again it, it went once you net it all out is that a positive thing mm-hmm. and i don't have the answer to that um but 
what I'm trying to do is build a network of, of, of farmers around the Weald, so the Kent and Sussex area, where it's easy to get the produce and it's and um, you're not having to kind of truck stuff all over the place. Um, and and it solves a problem for those for those food producers. So a lot of food producers, fruit farmers and pack houses um, produce a lot of waste. And um, for a, a lot of those farmers, um, that's that waste is a is a cost because either they have to pick it or they choose to pick it to prevent pest problems in their orchards and their farms um or um or there's other other costs associated with it so so i work with those farmers and i subsidize the picking costs you know it's a commercial relationship so i pay them for the produce and i work with the pack houses and and some, sometimes pack houses will pay to get rid of rid of produce and so you know they don't they don't pay me but i can i can mitigate some of their waste for them as well so um as a consequence i tend to work with with fruit farmers um and um just kind of so i make um a, a core lines of apple brandy and plum brandy at the moment from food waste i make a raspberry brandy or, or an unaged raspberry brandy which is more like a schnapps from from food waste and um i make a a rum from something called blackstrap molasses which is the the kind of last boilings in the sugar refining process so it's not often it's mostly used as a kind of cattle feed because it's waste and it's cheap so it does it does find a use in the system um but it's um it's not often used for for rum um so yeah you need good equipment for that so interesting stuff the um yeah isn't molasses sort of quite a traditional thing to be in rum that sort of yeah yeah that's right if you want to if you want to make rum it has to be made from cane cane molasses um fortunately in this country we have europe's only cane sugar refinery in in the thames estuary um but most most people will will choose to if they're making a rum and there's literally a handful of people in the uk that are um they will make make rum from something called premium molasses which is um a small amount of this this blackstrap waste but mixed with mixed with high quality invert sugar syrup so it's it's again it's taking a lot of good quality sugar out of the system which mm. which yeah is is a good quality marketable product so i choose not to do that but um yeah it just makes makes my life a bit more complicated but that's okay so I was going to say, do you, I think you've kind of answered because there are the particular <clears throat> particular lines that you produce sort of dictate what you can take. But I mean, are, are there certain? Do you try and take everything that you can up to up to sort of within reason? Yeah. You know, if people are if people are if, if yeah. it's going to waste, essentially, would would you? In an ideal yeah. world, yeah, I would, but I, I can't because. I, I, you, the, the business has to has to be profitable and it has to be kind of quite focused as well. Mm. And I, at the moment, I can't do super small lines of of products. Yeah. Um, you know, when we release a new a new spirit, it needs you know labeling, it needs distribution, and so it's it's, it's quite a high cost business distilling. So, right at the moment, I'm trying to stay focused um, on on these products. I've got. Um, a lovely spirit I've made um, out of surplus bread from sandwich factories, um, and that would make a amazing little moonshine. Um, makes a beautiful Bloody Mary. I just it's 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 kind of there as something that I'd love to do, but I just mm-hmm. don't have the, the the time or the resources at the moment. And I guess the sort of the more focused you are, the more known you are for doing those things and you know like the person that got in touch with you from Gloucester with plums you know you you're going to attract more of that sort yeah, of thing perhaps yeah you know. I think so yeah I think so um and there's there's you know the but being part of I, I talk about the sustainability aspects of of what I'm doing in kind of three ways and and it's the the, the mitigating of the bad stuff, you know, the power use, the water use, those kind of things. It's the having a positive impact by taking food waste out of the system, and then it's it's trying to be a voice um, to to shift perceptions, and that's something that that we're all doing. And it's why well, it's so nice to be engaged in these conversations. 
um, because you know, I don't certainly my product is a is a premium price point product, and there isn't I don't think um, purchasing decisions for premium products so much are made with sustainability in mind. So I'm trying to kind of even you know with my small voice be a bit vocal about that, try and change some perceptions, um, and and certainly people in in distilling and in the food industry are are now kind of exploring well we can we can use a lot of this produce to make surplus you know spirits and and things and i know that um the guys at at toast with the beer that they've been really successful in shifting perceptions and you know working with some of the the big brewers to, to use some of the food waste in their their brews and um i've spoken with a lot of people in the food distribution um sector and and they're thinking about spirits as well. So it, it's definitely happening. And that's a really good thing. I don't want to be like the only person doing this. No. <laughs> can't carry the whole thing yourself. Yeah, well, I just can't make a dent in it. <clears throat> well, I guess that's sort of, that's it then, isn't it? Is it? That is that third bit, kind of engaging and trying to get people get people engaged with it and, and yeah. uh, spread the message. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, um, I think there's, a big brand in Australia making making vodka from from carrots. Mm. I've heard of a few a few lines like that. So it's it's really really positive. You just you just hope that uh, I'm always slightly wary. So I, I do make a point of saying that if I don't, let's say, you know, if there's a bad raspberry crop one year, and you know my farmers can sell pretty much everything that they've got, then then I won't have that line that year. Mm. And my customers understand that about my business because that's the ethic. But that that can be a you know if you're a much bigger brand and you have world conquering ambitions, then that's a, if you start getting stocked in supermarkets, yeah. they, they're going to want to know you can you can, can supply supply this for the next X yeah. years. That's yeah. And mm. so for you know for me, I've got I've got lines. You know, I make I make gin as well, which and, and the food waste doesn't um, apply to the gin so much, and that's a, a, a product I can I can scale much more comfortably. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, that's I think f- for for some people that that will be a bit of a turnoff for working exclusively with food waste. Mm. Just um, do you, when you when you're getting this uh, the food waste, do you? Because I guess you're sort of dealing directly with farmers you know at the gates or the kind of the pack houses and what have you are there sort of typical reasons for the waste being there like is it um is it sort of all to do with supermarkets and distribution most typically or errors or just yeah things being unattractive i mean what when someone calls you up is there a sort of an is there a particular reason that's most common that that this thing is yeah, it's there. funny. Funny you should say that about the errors. You know, I had pretty much um, half the the plums I took this year were just from a, a miscommunication in in a pack house, and really? yeah, and then and so um, you know, x many tons of, of of plums just got sent back to the farmer, and and that was you know, the farmer was really upset about that. You know, it's a lot of a lot of hard work goes into growing produce, so. Um, is just so not to kind of uh, go off off that question, but is that kind of typical that if there's an error at the pack house, it can just is just sent back to the farmer and they have to take it? Is that the way these things? Um, I, actually, in that situation, I don't I don't know how the um, I I don't know wh- where the bottom line ended up. Right. Um, I suspect you know insurance will, will will come into it in some place. I do think generally farmers um they they kind of um insurance of the last resort if you like like they probably the buck stops with them a, a lot they certainly feel like that um i think it the the waste in my experience and other people will will know much more about this than i do but in my limited experience um different different producers different reasons for for there being surplus um something like um, soft fruit like like plums and, and raspberries, um, you know, having having um, unsightly or sun bleached fruit or, or sun damaged fruit um, left in the in the orchards can cause really bad pest problems. And so, 
the fruit tends to, and I think it tends to be easier to pick as well. You just pick literally everything. And then the fruit is then either graded at the, at the farm or at the pack house. And then the, the, the class B may be sold for one reason. Then the rejects are, are, are sent back to the farmer sometimes or, or just got, you know, sent to landfill by the pack houses. So, um, I think for, for soft fruit, it can be overripeness. In raspberries particular, they, there's a lot of good produce which could easily find a home, but raspberries just seem to ripen all at one time, like in a, in a matter of days, and you can't just magic clients out of thin air. And so um, I end up taking a lot of grade A raspberries which um, would, you know, sell anywhere. If, but, you, could, if you could keep them. Yeah, you yeah. just if you could keep them, you know, they raspberries would... They'll be kept for I don't know four or five days in a in a cold store, mm. whereas you, you keep apples for months. So um, w- with apples, you know a lot of a lot of the food waste will go to or or the kind of outgrades, if you like, will go to juicers or cider makers. So that, that kind of finds a home. A lot of the apples, um, I think, in in apple growing, there's a there's a structural thing about fruit uh, apple growing where you have to plant pollinator varieties. And those pollinator varieties can be every fourth tree. And it just so happens that pollinator varieties don't tend to be great eating apples often. You know, some of them like, I guess, Golden Delicious have kind of fallen out of our our favor a little bit. Um, But they make pretty good distilling fruit. Are very very sweet and have really nice aromatics, but don't have a lot of kind of body in in the bite. So... Um, yeah, I think in certainly in fruit, there's different reasons. So I suppose you've, you've got stuff that can be diverted to be eaten in a different way. You know, you've got class B stuff and then, and then things that might get stuff that might get sent off to, um, you know, make cider or make something else. But is there a things that are, um, being distilled, you know, you were talking about bacteria building up on it being a, being sort of a positive thing in, in certain cases, is there a kind of. Are you able to take fruit that wouldn't be able to be used in other kind of ways and and still use it in distilling? Is it is it a yeah. good way of kind of like capturing? Yeah, it is. A, it another is. level, really. It, it is. I mean, the, the distilling, fermenting for distilling is very a very different process from fermenting for brewing or winemaking. Um, in in a few ways, but one of the one of the key ones is that when we're distilling, Dilling and, and fermenting produce, we often use use bacteria um, really positively. So, in in and, and again, there are exceptions, but as a general rule, when you're brewing or making wine, you want to exclude bacteria and often kill off bacteria um, using sulfites. But um, and and you just want an absolute pure culture of, of yeast. When we're when we're distilling, we can control the flavors at the distillation stage. So we have this other kind of step of control, and so as a consequence, um, using bacterial colonies as well as yeast colonies um, can impart really interesting flavors. Flavors which you know can sometimes tend to the farmyardy or cheesy, but. Um, but impart other flavors as well, and then we can we can be slightly selective when we at the distillation stage what we what we allow through. So, um, I mean, the, the the classic example is in 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 rum making. There's a, um, a a part of the process called a muck pit, and it's not often often used. You see it in in quite often in Caribbean, mostly in Caribbean rums, where you they will literally have a pit dug outside the, the, the distillery where the the um the waste from the from the still goes and and over time it kind of develops a a, a bacterial colony in it and they can look pretty unappetizing. Mm. But that is then some of that is then taken and added back into the fermentation. And it and it does some desirable things. It lowers the pH, but it it adds a adds a, a colony in. And but and because of the, um, you know, in any ecosystem you have yeasts and you have bacteria, which which form symbiotic relationships and and symbiotic colonies. And and over time, if 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 they're cared for well, you can you can create a colony which which has this this kind of diversity and symbiosis between the bacteria and yeast and and that's it's quite a skilled process but it can 
it, it is often what separates a good a good product to from an excellent one. Mm. It's interesting to think there's this sort of like another uh, sort of another level that you could rescue stuff that wouldn't be it wouldn't be possible to yeah. to save in a, in another way. Yeah, I think so. So kind of you know sludgy sludgy plums um, will not really find a home on any shelf, um, but. They're okay for me as long as you know we don't have any any kind of rot or, or molds on. So um, yeah, I can I can take a lot of a lot of produce. The other sort of um, side, like you were saying, you know, you've got this input heavy industry. You know, this sort of just this heavy use of resources in in distilling, um, and that you've tried to tried to sort of reduce that. How have you done that? Um, I guess I guess there's there's a there's a few ways that i try to to mitigate that um i mean gen generally the things in distilling are power use and water use we use a fair amount of both um the the power use is easy to crack um or relatively you know i use a a, su a commercial supply we use a lot of power but i use 100 percent green energy um so i look at that as 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 um you know, investing in in renewable energy capacity in the system. Um, the, the the water use is is a tricky thing, and we we do what we can with 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 water use. We reuse um, our our hot wastewater to preheat other distillations, to preheat rum fermentations, uh, to clean the still. So I'm zero chemical use on site. So we use we use kind of high pressure hot water for for that. Um, in, I've got a long-term vision of of reducing the the water we use almost to nothing by having a um, a pond on site where we can we can run the the cooling water for the still through a through a pipe into the pond and actually just marginally heat up the pond while we're distilling and that will that will is that the main use of water sort of in cooling is in cooling heating, yeah so rather than actually kind of in the product so exactly it's okay yeah so it's it's mainly used in 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 cooling um so you end up with a lot of waste heat and i recover most of that waste heat is that um, the exchange you were talking about the, yeah through heat exchangers and um and various processes um so as as well as being 100 percent renewable power i try to be zero waste and zero chemical use and zero plastic use and I kind of pick out those things as as, as being the key things. Um, another key thing I, I think is 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 carbon in the distribution chain. But um, you know that is as more of a structural thing within our distribution system that um, is is changing slowly. And I do what I can. Um, and I always say I try to be zero waste because I never I don't feel like I'll. I'll ever get there. It's you know that that last one percent is is so difficult. But we do you know the main stuff is is we, we've we've cracked. So we have a bioreactor which which chomps through our our liquid organic waste. Our solid organic waste goes to feed local small holdings. Um, we recycle or reuse pretty much all of our waste. Um, and the the only exception at the moment. Um, is the backing paper of our of our labels, and this in investigating this, it seems to be a just one of these things in the industry. The industry's grown up with this siliconized backing paper, um, and just no one's thought to create a, um, a, an alternative. So it's got a sort of plastic coating on it, so you can yeah. take the labels off, and that's exactly that's the labels kind of peel off really easily. It's this kind of siliconized solution, and um, and they're, they're investigating it. There, there seems to be a couple of companies that are are kind of recycling that. Um, but uh, they're they're kind of more suited to the people who produce the labels that have you know many tons of of offcuts of this material, rather than you know people like me. Whereas you know I'm I'm I might be producing uh, you know I don't know twenty kilos of this stuff in a in a fortnight or so and. Um, it, it it doesn't become either cost effective or you know probably not probably not um, environmentally kind of neutral. Okay. And again, yeah, when you start sort of thinking about getting that twenty kilos to wherever it is to be, yeah, recycled, that's right. Sort of, 
if you factor it all in, yeah, where where does that leave you? Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I, you know, some some of this stuff like um, um, we, we you know we we burn kind of locally sourced uh, sustainable wood in our in our log burner to 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 kind of heat the heat the warehouse, and um, you know, I wouldn't want to put put that in in the wood burner to to heat you, know, you never know about this stuff so mm. um we'll 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 get there but it's it's just unfortunate there's just one of these things structurally in the system that you know i was talking to my label supplier about it and say you know i'm gonna have to find a solution at this some some uh, to this to this issue at some point and um it just doesn't seem to be to be an answer in the industry there doesn't seem to be any pressure from doesn't so from no one's buyers. asking no one else is asking no one else this. is asking the question yeah mm. so um yeah slight slightly I, I fear it's one of those things we're gonna have to wait wait for the industry to kind of catch up but um we'll see you, you just said um you know your your the solid the food waste that comes out goes to small holdings to feed feed livestock yeah um is that well which is which sounds Sounds great. One of the one of the things I've heard um, a few times is sort of the the restrictions around what you can feed livestock being being a sort of issue. I think with food that's intended for human consumption, you know, and then wasted, can't be given to animals. I think I hope I'm getting that right. I think I think it's the um, the pig idea um, initiative. Yeah, yeah that's that, right. That sort of I think that's based around that. But yeah. So, but the the food that you're produce well, the the waste the solid waste from here you can use in that way. There's no there's no issues. Yeah, the, I mean the 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 issue that I've come across is that um, quite a few of the small holdings are trying to be organic, mm-hmm. and I can't you know because I'm taking food waste, I can't guarantee that that stuff is organic. So, um, but I the, no, there's a a couple of a few farmers locally who are uh, delighted to take it. And um, in fact, they take um, the majority of the produce that they they actually take is from, from pack houses as well. So um, funnily enough, there's a nice, a nice kind of, uh, to use the phrase again, kind of symbiotic relationship because if, if you're a, a small holding and you're taking a lot of surplus grapes, say, from... Um, a, a great pack house. Um, it tends to be a lot of a lot of water in it, mm. and and obviously sugar. Now I can take those grapes and I can press them for their juice, and then I can supply the pressed pomace, which is then nice and dry and has a lot of the sugary sweetness removed, mm. directly to the farm. So I'm kind and of doing. That's a better feed. And for, it's a better feed, yeah, yeah because it it makes you know it. it it keeps slightly better. It makes it less less kind of sludgy when when mixed with um, kind of pellets for for um, the the protein pellets that they feed them. So I guess it probably keeps longer as well if you've, if you've got a sort of fairly dry if it's drier. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so it's it, it's a really good solution. Mm. Is the is there anything sort of special about the still itself? I, I think I might have read that when you were choosing it, you you had. It was a very particular thing that could operate more sustainably than some. Is is that right? Yes. You know the the, the still I mentioned earlier. It's cleaned with high pressure hot water. It's so that of, so that's kind of a feature of the actual thing rather than yeah it's not just something you do to it. No, that's a that's a feature of the still. Um, I mean the, the the still is one of the the still that I have is one of the best in the world. Um, when especially when you're distilling fruit, um, one of the one of the metabolic pathways of yeast is to convert pectin into methanol, and methanol is is very toxic for humans. And so um, you have to have extremely high quality of equipment to, to kind of remove that, so you don't do people damage. And that's there's a kind of particular thing to fruit distillation. So I need to kind of have that. So it's it's slightly more about the products I make. Um, but the, the the type of still I have, as well as being cleaned by hot water, is a is a hybrid of a traditional pot still and a column still. And without without going to the technical details, if you're making a if you're distilling a lot of produce, what you'll do is do one or two or three distillations. So in a Scotch whisky distillery, they do two distillations, a wash distillation and a spirit distillation. And so in that process, you're heating up your your material twice and cooling it down twice and in the still that I have 
I can effectively do up to five distillations in in one go. So rather than rather than heat heat a huge volume of liquid up two, three, four times and cool it down again, I can I can just heat it up once and then and then purify it to whatever level I desire. And so it makes it very very efficient. Yeah. I wondered um, if we could maybe sort of talk a bit about what. Uh, about you, you sort of, you and your move to do this, um, cancelling retirement. That was something I read in in a yeah. blog post that just really, I thought that was very interesting as as an idea. Could you maybe just sort of explain a bit what you meant by that? Yeah, I guess it's a little bit um, talking about um, divesting from retirement. It's a little bit about a, a pointed way of kind of talking about more about a change of the way that I want to live my life. And, and I feel that, that a lot of people in, in my generation and, and younger um, want to live their lives differently and have to live their lives differently. So, you know, I grew up in a, in a family where, um, kind of traditional family where, you know, my dad was a breadwinner and um, he, he saved enough throughout his life to retire at whatever age he retired. And then has has since spent his life, you know, classic baby boomer, um, a life more of of leisure. I think for for our generations, and that's that's much less of an achievable goal, that we can we can work for thirty years, um, putting you know huge amounts of cash aside into a pension fund. And then expect that pension fund to grow sufficiently so that we don't have to work for thirty years. But it, it's it's kind of for me that that's that's not really aspirational. Um, you know, I, I I love I want to love the work that I do, and I want to um, you know I see that in a lot of kind of the artist communities that people want to work until until they drop, and and I'd like I'd like to to live that kind of life. But I you know I worked in. I, I did a little bit of time in in asset management, and I've and I've kind of observed those kind of worlds. And what's really uncomfortable for me is that if if your desire is to save and invest you know, a vast fortune so that you can live for decades in in you know overseas and in the lap of luxury, then you're you have very little control about. Um, the kind of companies that you're depending on to make make those kind of returns for you, and if you're if you're kind of blindly saving, you're you can be as sustainably minded as you want, and you can live a very low impact existence. But if you're paying, you know, twenty thirty percent of your income into a pension fund of which you have zero oversight of, of the of the underlying companies, then it just always felt to me there was a little bit of a disjoint and I have a real low, low expectation of the corporate governance of, you know, most multinationals. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess you've seen it quite, quite close. Yeah, I think, I think so. I mean, I, I, I saw enough of it. I was never at the kind of sharp end of, of the industry, um, but I saw enough of it to, to get, to be kind of troubled and, um, to, to see that quite often the environmental sustainable governance in big organizations is is there as a real bit part to the organization and to be seen to do something or sort yeah. of appease people a bit yeah definitely and um you know if you've if you if you have a have a committee looking at it and you make some submissions then you get the kind of badge and and you can put down your marketing materials and 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 it's a it's a good start to an industry which has historically not been terribly good. But um, I just I, I, you know thinking over the years about well, what what can an individual do to impact serious change, and there is a lot more than you can do as an individual than I have done. But um, I kind of feel that one of one of the things that I can do, which which kind of overlaps with how I want to live my life, is is to to not kind of play that 
game and to kind of try and create a life for myself where I'm not depending on, um, you know, some, some multinational corporation around the world to, to, to kind of grow to such an extent that I can, I can live a life of leisure for 30 years. Um, the, 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 the fact that our society is so focused on growth um, is is quite for me quite a poisonous idea because if you if you think that if everyone's thinking well I need to get seven percent or five percent six percent seven percent return from my pension fund to actually live this life of luxury for thirty years or or live a sustainable retirement then we have to be generating that growth you know cust- uh, and, and the only way of doing that as far as I can see. Um, because we don't have infinitely more people to push into the systems. Yeah, technology is getting better, and and that's one of the ways we can we can have have higher growth. But it's also about putting in more and more factors of production, and we don't really have more and more factors of production. We can, we've got less, and so I think that I don't I don't see how it's going to happen. But I think there needs to be a rebalancing between what we view as success as a as a society away from. Um, economic growth to something that balances like human happiness and contentment and a better way of living. I've, I think I've heard a sort of similar idea. You know, people talk about a triple bottom line or sort of people, planet, profit, three Ps. That you know, sort of a way of some. So that, I don't know if it is a solution, but some way of accounting for all those things in the kind of analysis yeah. that you do. Was you you know, if it is purely a financial growth driven interest sort of a calculation then that has consequences on the other things it'll use up those other resources the people and the planet yeah without sort of thinking about it yeah um, yeah i definitely think that that there are structures in place like b corps for example i think are really great and also you know social enterprises what they don't do is answer this question of 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 the kind of the structure of of life and living and retirement um and how pension funds operate yeah it it is difficult thing isn't it maybe it's something just at the heart of what a business a corporation a traditional business or corporation is you know it's sort of it's it's set up for ultimately profit particularly if it's a public institution and you've got Mm. shareholders then there's an obligation in there to to be focused on that first, if not sort of completely, then sort of above other other considerations. So that thing of um, corporate social sort of responsibility being an, an add-on, I don't know how we get around that. You know, I, I, I'm interested in the, you know, things like B corporations and social enterprises as a an attempt to to sort of get away from that. I think I think there's something there, but yeah. I think well I think um I think that as soon as consumers have have the awareness about you know be it be it a label for example the company is a is a B, B corporation and consumers have an awareness that they can choose either a product from a, a B corporation or a social, social enterprise and a and a company that isn't that um you know we we're, we're definitely getting to the stage where there's a groundswell of opinion that those kind of choices are a real positive thing. And, um, and, and so I, yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely moving in, in, in the right, in the right direction, but it definitely feels to me like, um, and yeah, what, what exactly what you've just said that, that companies are, are profit making machines, but we're kind of pulling, pulling companies along and it doesn't doesn't feel like a lot of companies are kind of genuinely leading the charge and making really really positive decisions about uh yeah how they how they kind of behave in their their supply chains for example so it, it's it is really complex one, one of the kind of things that happened this year kind of illustrated that quite clearly to me and working with again a plum farmer who was who was was a bit down on his luck actually because he was he'd just made the decision just to stop picking plums for the year and he'd left about thirty tons of plums um, unpicked in the orchards 
And it was quite an interesting dynamic talking to him about it because he's kind of aware of what I'm trying to do with food waste. But for, for him in this specific instance, food waste was the kind of cause of his problems because the reason he was having to leave the plums unpicked on his trees was because he wasn't getting the orders for the plums. And the reason he wasn't getting the orders for the plums is because the specific supermarket he was working for were trying to reduce their food waste. And in reducing their food waste, they've asked the store managers not to produce so much food waste. And so the store managers aren't ordering as much produce. So the waste is still there. It's just pushed further down. So the, the, the waste is still, still there. Mm. It's just at the farm gate. And the farmer is is not making any money, um, so it is it is really difficult. Um, you know, you could you know the farmer's perspective was, well, just increase the pack sizes. You know, instead of two hundred grams, make them four hundred grams, and and you know charge the same amount. Like let's get let's get the product out there, and and you know obviously um, structurally that was yeah not not going to happen so and i suppose the other sort of side of that would be then you'd push the the waste onto the households you know it would just be going, yeah going, potentially potentially just going potentially people there. would 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 not make those buying decisions because they they see it as that the pack size yeah. being too small Which is obviously no no answer to someone who's got all those tons of waste on yeah in the orchard but it's you know if, if you're sort of genuinely trying to eliminate the waste completely i guess yeah. you have to sort of try and think about it that yeah way. I mean, it's, it, it is, it is, it's structural, so you can't kind of, I don't feel like I can point fingers, but I mean, that particular supermarket is, is, you know, doing a lot of work to try and mitigate the waste in the system and eventually try and get to zero waste. So that's, that's, you know, applaudable, but, um, um, the, you know, between then and now <laughs> there's going to got to be some pain and some rebalancing and, um, yeah, the, the farmers certainly feel like. It's another stick that they're being hit with. Yeah, there's, there's definitely no sort of magic wand in any of this, is there? It's uh, no. Yeah. Fortunately, there are some, you know, good and bright minds out there thinking about this stuff. Um, and yeah, I'm just kind of for me, I'm on a learning journey, and it's been you know a real pleasure to be able to kind of do some small things. But um, it's uh, yeah, I'm definitely definitely learning. So what are your, where do you want to, to take all of this, I suppose, is, is a question that springs to mind because we've talked a little bit about the um, potential issues, you know, of scaling, this really clear mission, you know, this sort of clear ethos. And I think I mean, you just mentioned there is a product that can sort of scale a bit more easily, but there are certain things that are sort of limited by, by what you're trying to do or the way you're trying to do it. Um, what, I mean, what is, what's your hope for it? What would you, overall, what do you, where do you hope it yeah. all goes? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I can, I guess, everything is, is, is scalable. Um, there, I think, especially, especially fruit, fruit distilling is, is very kind of process heavy. Um, so, there's yeah it, t- it takes a lot of manual labor and and the hours are long um but it, it will require it will require investment to to kind of scale up some of those those product lines so at the moment i'm i'm kind of doing some of these lines on a on a smaller scale and and you know as i build the distillery i i can invest in more equipment and, and scale them up more effectively um you know, I'm not, I don't. My ambition with this business is to be a national, nationally recognised brand, but not to not to kind of conquer the world. I, what I'm not looking to do is kind of grow a business, grow a brand, and then and then sell it. You know, and and so for me, this is something that um, if I can put barrels down of very high quality spirit, um, and and then you know when when product is released, you know that's that's kind of looked for and and desirable and um it easily finds a home so yeah it's it's for me it's not about kind of compromising on on the quality of the products i i produce and and try not to compromise on the kind of ethic behind the business as well um at the same time you know got to 
produce pro- products in sufficient volume to to actually make it going concern so it's it's tough and and like again you know we've spoken before about margins in in the food business generally um you can you know if you look at a bottle of high quality spirit on a on a shelf you can be forgiven for thinking it's 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 money in time but um actually the margins are extremely thin um once you kind of factor in all the cost of production and all the time and effort that goes into it so so it can be challenging and but um yeah we'll do do what we can you just said you know you're not not planning to build up a brand and then sort of sell it and move on this is sort of i think tied up with the with a sort of deferred retirement or um divested retirement sort of idea. you know you're you're here this is this is this is sort of what you're doing. Yeah, this it is, seems very tied to the place, you know, what, whatever happens to it, it's kind of about being here. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I'm, it's can be a bit cagey about how I talk about that sometimes. Cause sometimes if you talk about a, a, a brand as, or a business you're running as, as, you know, in, in such personal terms, then people kind of think about, well, it's a little cottage industry and it's, 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 um, you know, something that, you just you uh, kind of a little like annuity a business yeah a little yeah. hobby and that's that's not what it is and that's not my ambition for for the business either but um it it, it is it is about you know i kind of built this about how i want to live and the kind of um trying to create a business around some of the belief systems i have and i don't talk about that a lot because um you know i want people to buy my spirit cuz it's an aspirational brand and they they look beautiful and they taste great but um, I, I feel like I've, you know, you know, the hours are long and, and, um, it's, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm pulling muscles all the time, but, uh, it, I feel like I've kind of found something where I can, um, produce a, a product I'm proud of and, and live, um, more in tune with the kind of ethics I, I believe in. Be kind of like coherent and kind of be, be, yeah, sort of be yourself. I yeah. Guess. Yeah, so um, it, it it's it, it's tricky, you know. I still go to the supermarket and 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 realize I haven't got my my canvas tote bags with me and have to load up on plastic bags. So, yeah, I still it's a work in progress. Yeah, it is yeah. a work in progress. Yeah, yeah. And 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 again, you know, I was saying saying off off mic to you earlier on that, you know, I, I keep turning around and I just I, I see all these little tiny things that, you know, be it be it like a little package um bag with with bubble wrapping to send out samples and stuff and you know i i try to try to reuse all the bubble wrap we get sent but sometimes in the heat of the moment i'll just we just need some supplies and i buy it and um then i realize yeah what what the hell you know take 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 another five minutes and 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 just look for look for the alternatives that that are the right things for me so yeah it's 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 easy to move move fast and and um and kind of yeah forget about these things at times but uh yeah try to stay focused I think, and I think it's also kind of um, I've, I've quite a big believer in this sort of uh, just incremental improvements you know like you can you can get a bit overwhelmed sometimes with sort of with big goals and grand ambitions and things and just but just you know making like small improvements but you know with um, like you're saying the, the packaging or the you know whatever it is like a little little things better kind of over time yeah it has a massive effect. I definitely think yeah that kind of iterative um way of developing anything you know it's a big thing like software development you know you can make it as good as it needs to be and then you keep keep iterating it and iterating it and make it better and better and I think that's a really good way to and a smart way to build it build a business and it's probably the the one reason why I I didn't come to market with a brand and position myself as like the sustainable distillery, even though kind of I'm, I'm probably one of very, very few distilleries who even talk about this because it's, it, it's not, not a particularly well done thing in our industry. But, um, I just kind of feel that like you can quite easily get beaten, beaten up about it. You know, if you're not, if you're not doing everything absolutely to the letter, then, then there's always something that, that people can point to. And, and actually that's, that's not how people operate. People, people are, are, are generous in their mindset and, um, and, and realize that, that it te- kind of takes time and that there are always compromises. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think if you can do, if you can just, the, the thing that I feel useful is just to, 
have a have a list i've got a, an actual list but we'll have a kind of mental list of what are the what are the big things that you can impact in your business and then what are the kind of easy things to impact and and just check them off and if things are big and difficult then maybe spend it's worth spending a bit of time trying to trying to think around it um but if something is 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 small and less impactful and you know is is going to be complicated to figure out then that that's one to you just know just, yeah, think about <laughs> think about later on yeah. um yeah but yeah i mean i think i think there's yeah divesting from from plastic is is easy to do nowadays and you know getting on a 100 percent renewable electricity plan is easy to do mm-hmm. it just yeah just get the big these big things in place and then see where you can go from there yeah it's just you mm. know spend 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 a day mm. spend a day doing an audit of the business and and just think creatively about it and man you can do a a, a lot of work It'll impact a lot of change that way i tend to ask just slightly more general questions as sort of at the at the end of these these interviews and i thought i'd ask you i thought i'd ask you a couple um one I thought I'd ask you is if if you could pick up the phone and talk to your twenty year old self, what what might you say to him? I'm just trying to think. Twenty year old self, I would have known you. you went, yeah, yeah, we university would. time and heading, you know, thinking of heading into the world of work and hobby, yeah. hobby distilling. Um, I I don't know. I think um, all all the experiences I kind of had and all the mistakes that I made are all kind of really important you know and um i think i was a pretty pretty naive little kind of 20 year old and just trundling through life mm-hmm. i'm not sure i'd want to disturb that too much you know he was having quite a lot of fun back then and yeah it seemed yeah to <laughs> there were <laughs> there were a few missteps taken but it's you know i'm i'm a big believer in in mistakes being um as important for your kind of personal journey or even more important than anything else. So I'll just leave him be maybe. I think that's, yeah, I think I, I probably would as well. Like just yeah. uh, my, my one, but um, do you have a sort of a food hero or if think maybe not, maybe that's not quite the way, but thinking about the food industry or distilling, if you know, and everything that kind of goes with it, you know, in, in the broadest sense. But if I say food industry in the UK to you, and success is there someone that kind of someone that springs to mind for you um yeah loads of people i mean i know i'm i i know i'm good friends with 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 tristram stewart who i'm sure listeners to this podcast will will all know um and and really good friends with his team at, at toast and and rob especially who the, the the chief toaster there and and tristram and rob both both inspirational guys and you know i've 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 known tristan many many years and and even back when you know i was that um naive 20 year old probably without the first thought of it tristan was kind of rearing his own animals and using food waste to kind of feed his 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 own livestock and and thinking about this stuff incredibly deeply so yeah that's pretty humbling and um uh yeah yes you know sometimes the the work that uh i do and us do can can seem pretty facile in in comparison so it's yeah yeah they're definitely putting some markers in the markers in the land um and i think just just generally people businesses who are working sustainably and working with food waste and working in a low impact way um it's enthusing and and it's exciting to kind of build a business like that i mean i know from experience but you're also competing with businesses who just don't give two f's and um you have a point of difference which is great but you also sometimes have you know a higher burden of work as a consequence of the kind of ethic that you want to want to want to follow and so yeah i think it can be really difficult again any any food business is is you know the margins can be difficult um and the people but as a as a consequence of all that the people who work in the food industry in a low impact way are do it because they're driven and they're passionate and that makes it an industry of of awesome people 
which is great. Absolutely. Um, would you sort of like to point people towards anything if they want to find out more about you to your, your website or um, I know you're doing, people can come to the distillery if, you know, if anybody's sort of listening to this and was, was, you know, would really like to check it out. They can, they can arrange yeah, to come they can here. Come here. And, yeah. So we do, um, we do uh, gin, little gin making experiences a couple of times a week. People can and, and come and, and make their own bottle of gin in the distillery and, and have a lot of fun doing that. Um, I'd like to um, next next year in apple pressing season um, make that more of a, a an open enterprise um, and have it more as a kind of um, experiential thing for people who who want to learn about the brand so um, keep an eye on that but yeah you can come to the websites greensanddistillery.com or check out the kind of Facebook page or the Instagram try to try to be a bit warts and all on our on our social media so it's not just kind of endless shots of beautiful cocktails and beautiful people it's um you know us in the distillery and uh and the kind of mucky side of things so molasses and yeah muck pits and all of that <laughs> muck pits <coughs> brilliant all right well I'll, I'll put the um the the link to the websites and uh, and all of that in in the sort of show notes so people can just if, if you're listening to this and you want to have a look, it, it'll be there. You can just click on it and, and go straight through and have a look. Um, and I definitely encourage you to do that. Um, so I think we'll leave it there. And I'd just like to say thank you very much for your time. And I'd, um, it's, been really, it's been really fun talking to you. And I, I hope it's been good to listen to you. Thank you to anyone listening as well for your time. Thanks, thank buddy. You. Yeah.